What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. What's happening, guys? Happy Friday! And thank you for joining another special episode of Your Welcome. At the end of the show, I'll talk about Macy Barber's return Saturday at UFC 258 and why I think she has all the makings of a star. Just before that, I'll address Dustin Poirier's comments about Max Holloway and Conor McGregor, but the main focus of today's show is there's a lot of fighters making big mistakes right now. I'm going to give them some advice. So Nate Diaz, Charles Oliveira, listen up. But before we get there, I've got a question about Corey Sandhagen. Did Corey Sandhagen go and do it again? Sandhagen came out and he said, I really like a title fight, but if that opportunity's not here, then I'll fight Cody Garbrandt or TJ Dillashaw. And I've just wondered, did Corey do it again? I mean, Corey is obviously being thought of for an immediate title shot. Let's keep him around. Hold him out a minute. Three weeks away is all we are between Jan and Sterling. You're very clearly, as an audience, down to two. You're very clearly down to Sandhagen and Dillashaw. I don't know how strong TJ's argument is being that he was on suspension versus TJ's back for a title that he never lost. I don't know. But I know that we are down to those two. So Sandhagen coming out and suggesting two fights, Garbrandt and or TJ, now is going to get an interest, at least from his base, talking of Sandhagen's, to steer him in one of those two directions, thus taking the eye off the prize, which is the title fight. Now, Sandhagen did a pretty cool thing there. He called for a fight. We love that. Not to mention he called out two studs. He's not looking for something easy to do. Full credit and respect. The problem that you will have within MMA is it is a drug. The attention that you receive is a drug. You receive a commodity through your participation on television with the media, with interactions on social media, with text messaging, you receive a level of attention that when the fight is gone, like a drug, it is gone. And you need your fix and you need to get it back. Which some guys will be so starved for attention that has now gone, that they'll go start sending out tweets, weird ones, just to get some level of interaction within their life from these people that they don't know. It's very normal. It's very tough as a fighter to know when to take your oars out of the water. And most fighters don't even know the cycle. The day that you sign begins the media. It begins the training camp. It begins the attention. It begins the focus. Then you have the actual match itself. Then you have two days. 
And most athletes miss this. They miss those two days. They're so tired, win or lose. They're so ready for this to be done. They're tired of living out of hotel rooms. They want to get their stuff. They want to get to the airport. They want to get home. They want to put their feet up and they miss those two days. But if you look at the big media days, and it largely started because of Errol Hawani, whether it was Errol Hawani and the MMA Hour he used to host, but that was Monday. Now he's over on ESPN doing the Errol Hawani show, but it's Monday. It largely is because of Ariel that Monday is such a big day. And Ariel will recap what happened, not just what's coming up. All sports shows are about what's next and what's now. Ariel is one of the few sports shows that will recap what happened. He does it on Monday. It's an off sports day, but it became an on sports day in the world of MMA because of him. I don't say this to make this an aerial piece. I'm sharing for you why you have 48 hours and 48 hours specifically after your fight, and then it is gone. You cannot come out on Tuesday. You cannot come out on Wednesday. That is long gone. We have moved on to what is next. We have press conferences for Usman versus Burns, by example. We're going to have open media days. You're going to have your, your workouts if they're still doing those in the pandemic. Not to mention you're going to have the weigh-in and then the actual competition itself. Thus making what happened last week old news. But it's important that you do understand the cycle from the day you sign the match itself plus 48 hours. Soak that up as best you can. Once those 48 hours expire, and in the case of Sandhagen, they have expired, you take your oars out of the water. Zip it. Zip it. There's an exception to every rule, and I can tell you plenty of times where guys are going to have to go fight with other guys in the media to try to get what they want. Where the squeaky wheel gets the grease and where the guy with the biggest mandate of the masses and he's got to compete with somebody else over the internet through social media, for headlines to try to get what he wants. I'm offering you a question of, has Sanhagen done it again? Sanhagen, who is in a position to be picked, to have his phone ring, and it is down to two. And it's not down to two in the order of Dillashaw-Sanhagen. That would be the reverse order. It is Sanhagen on top, followed by Dillashaw. The memories and the greatness of Dillashaw that were two years ago versus the memories and greatness of, of Sanhagen that was two days ago. Sandhagen has won that part of it. He got to go last. He got to have the final word. He's in a very good spot. So is him coming out and calling for a fight, anything other than what he wants and what he is likely in line for, has Sandhagen Sandhagened again? And if you were to break down what he said, I'm not sure where Cody Garbrandt came from. I don't have any problem with the call out. I like that match. I think that if you are Cody Garbrandt, though, guys, don't forget, there was talk that Garbrandt was going to fight for the championship at 125. Now, that talk largely went away when Moreno went out there and did so well with Formega, and Dana went to the press conference and said, 100%, not even a maybe, we are doing this fight again. So then all of a sudden, if you're Cody, you got to go, okay, well, that means something for me, too. It means I either wait around or I go stay active in between. I don't know what Cody's choice is. I would like to see Cody still get that title fight. I think Cody and 125 pounds is very good for business. I think just the industry is going to be better if Cody is on top. I think he's more likely to be on top at 125. It's my own opinion. 
I think that Formega and what he's doing with that division, I think the way that his uh, stock is growing, his ability to move the needle, at least in conjunction with other guys that have come before him within that same division, I see a fight between them at 125 being as anticipated of a fight that 125 pounds has ever seen. But that's me sitting around, that Chael's wish. We have to know what Cody wants to do. And if Cody is looking at a title fight at 125, if those rumors that we were once told are true are still true, and in this business, things change very quickly. But if that's still true, and I would think that it would be, particularly if Formiga wins again. So there's no trilogy with Moreno. It goes right, right. You're looking to move on with it. I think that's where you would really insert a Cody Garbrandt. But it would seem as though Cody's got to be, he's got to be able to get the same deal at 135, right? If you're Cody, you go, okay, guys, you want me to fight San Hagen? I'll do it. But you also told me if I wait and suck off 10 pounds, I can go right into a title fight. So if I beat San Hagen, is that make me eligible for a title? And you see where things get, I don't know if anybody could guarantee that. Because in the interim, what happens? Does TJ end up with a fight with somebody drawing him in, or does TJ become the guy? And he sits around and waits. And what if TJ wins? Now you're going to have a TJ versus Cody, which we've already seen. I mean, there's just, it's one of those things where it's very hard to make promises within this sport. I mean, I'm not sure the best answer I've ever heard in this sport isn't the one that Dana has to always give, where he simply says, let's see what happens. And as much as that makes everybody roll their eyes and pull their hair out because they, they have no definitive answer, I'm not sure it's not the absolute best answer. How do any of us predict what's going to happen when it's yet to happen? Vitor Belfort's going to throw a punch that doesn't hit Randy Couture, but a piece of stitching ca catches Randy Idlet. I mean, right there is weird things that happen. Or you get a weird decision where you go, man, what were they watching there? It's just one of these things. Jones versus Cormier is the biggest trilogy the sport could possibly have until Stipe goes out there and stops Cormier in the fourth round. Now, Stipe versus Daniel is the biggest trilogy, and there's no talk of Daniel versus John Jones anymore. I mean, just offering you some examples that went very quickly, where it's very hard to start making promises and then fulfill those not knowing what's still going to come. And I'm picking on Sandhagen a little bit. I'm picking on it so that I can use the new verbiage of did Sandhagen pull a Sandhagen. A fairer approach would be Sandhagen spoke up. People care about Sandhagen. He's called for one of two opponents, and they're both killers, which is credit to Sandhagen. I'm coming at it from a slightly different angle just to be a dick. I'm going out of my way. But I do feel as though when Sandhagen keeps speaking up, it does show that he doesn't understand that a decision is being made and it is down to he and one other. If he got information that the wind was blowing towards TJ, he would need to speak up and possibly calling TJ out directly is the way to do it. When that wind hasn't blown and he is the current leader, but he then calls for a fight with TJ and or Garbrandt, I'm not sure where that came from, I think I'm within my lane to ask you if Sandhagen just Sandhagen. Now let's move from Sandhagen to another guy and that's Nate Diaz. Guys, I got asked an interesting question 
Okay, I got asked this in a comment section on my YouTube page. And it started as a statement. It was a statement from the listener who said, Nate Diaz has made the biggest media blunder ever. Nate Diaz came out with a platform of ESPN and he called for something that you can't get. He then complimented me. Chael, I listen to you all the time and you say, never call for something you can't get. Nate called and made a caveat of the weight class to something he can't get. It was a complete waste of time. And then he asked me, do I agree? No, I do not agree. I strongly disagree and I'll tell you why. And I know when I made that statement, I have made the statement a number of times that you never call for something that you can't get within this sport, but I have followed up with why. The why is more important. The why is because you will look weak. In this industry, if you do not look as though you have power, you do not have power. And you do not want to be in one of the most powerful things in the world, which is half-naked, unified rules, cage fighting in front of the world, powerless. If you call for something and you get swatted away, you look weak. And many guys don't understand why it was so important to not appear weak in this alpha business. But Nate Diaz, who can't get the fight, that fight will not happen with Poirier at 170 pounds. Nate Diaz established himself as the alpha because he made Dustin Poirier respond saying he would like the fight. He's willing to do it on Nate's terms and he's willing to come up. Nate wins. I don't believe that any of us thought that Nate really wanted that fight. If he wanted the fight, he can have the fight. He just has to go to 155 pounds. So the choice was Nate's to begin with. Nate then said, I'll do it, but you're going to dance to my tune. Now, I can promise you as sure as night follows day, at some point of the media this week, Dana will do a press conference and somebody will ask him about Nate and Poirier. Dana will not hedge. He will swap that away instantly. He will not play along because he will not look weak. He will not say, well, you know, we like the fight, but we generally don't do them out of those weight classes. You know, we're going to talk to those guys. He will swat it down instantly. And the nicest you will get Dana to be about a Nate versus Poirier fight is if they want to fight at 155, they can call me and he will move on because he will not look weak and he will not look played and he will not appear dictated to. I promise you that. But Nate got Poirier without even doing the fight or throwing a punch. He got Poirier, the top 55 pounder who's licensed and active and hasn't said I quit the sport to agree to his terms, to not only agree to the fight that he wanted, but even to agree to the caveat of the different weight classes. I would submit for you it was a home run by Nate Diaz because I don't know that Nate was ever looking to fight anyway. I believe that Nate was looking to serve the purpose of keeping his name in the media until something comes up. And it seems as though we don't need to go any weird direction with Nate. It seems as though if he's just going to do fun fights and everybody's going to get behind him, go find him a fun fight that people can get behind him. And it would seem to me that Nate versus Masvidal part two, a part two that we believed is going to happen. And then Masvidal started looking at Usman, but then Usman got tied up with Burns. And then the promotion was looking at Colby versus Masvidal. It just seems as though everybody needs to have a representative who can keep their mouth shut and take it to the grave and go and have a meeting. I would tell you, if I was in that spot, one of my people would go and knock on a door 
whether it was in Vegas or Fight Island, and say, can I come in? We need to talk. But if I'm Masvidal's guy, I, I don't want to fight Colby. It's too hard of a fight, and there's too much with too little on the line. I do want to stay active. I do want to stay busy. I do want to help everybody prosper and move forward, but I think that's where Nate Diaz comes back in. You sit everybody down with who, what, when, where, and most importantly, why. Why? What do you think about going and doing this? It seems to draw. It seems to sell. I think it would work. And I've already talked to his team, and they say that they'll agree to it. I mean, it's one of these things where you got to. Sometimes you got to work these things out. If that's the direction that you want to go, sometimes you've got to work these things out. But I don't agree that Nate Diaz fumbled here. I don't agree that he made himself look like a bully by calling out 55-pounders. He is a 55-pounder. He just prefers to fight at 170. I get it. I've got no problem with any of it. But I'm also not convinced that he ever wanted to do the fight with Dustin. If he did want to do the fight with Dustin, I am convinced that if he dropped a 55, he could have that fight. I think he could have that fight all the way up until Connor and Dustin sign. It looks as though that's the direction that they're going, but when you have Dustin himself calling for him, it's one of these things. You can start to put things together very quickly. I don't think that Nate missed a shot here. I think that Nate's point was to get a headline, which he succeeded on the worldwide leader. I mean, that matters. Doing, doing an interview, and I live in my mother's basement and learn some HTML.com or doing it on ESPN, it's vastly different. And I think he used that platform well to show that he still has power. And the power is I haven't been in there since the BMF fight, but I can get the number one contender to dance to my tune. Just watch. And he did. I agree that I have told you a million times, don't call for something that you're not going to get, but I make sure you hear the why. The why is because you'll look weak. Nate doesn't look weak. Nate flexed. He was looking to see where his positioning still remains in the sport, and he got the top guy to respond. Two of the sport's most respected fighters step back into the octagon this weekend, and they're going to compete for the welterweight championship. DraftKings, the official daily fantasy partner of UFC, is giving you a shot at huge cash prizes. For this weekend's fight, DraftKings is offering new players a shot at millions of dollars in total prizes. If you haven't tried it yet, fantasy MMA is easy to play. Just pick six fighters. Stay under the salary cap and pile up points for advances, takedowns, and more. There's no better way to put your MMA knowledge to the test than to compete for a shot at millions of dollars in total prizes. Plus, don't forget about basketball and hockey, where DraftKings has even more money up for grabs this weekend. DraftKings is safe, it's secure, it's reliable, so you can deposit and withdraw your funds at your convenience. Download the DraftKings app right now. Use the promo code CHAIL. That's going to get you a shot at millions of dollars in total prizes throughout the week. That's promo code CHAIL for a shot at millions of dollars in total prizes only at DraftKings. Minimum $5 deposit. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. Charles Oliveira's uh, coach. I used to think this was his manager. The gentleman is named Lima. I thought it was his manager, but in the recent article it said that it was his coach. But this is the same guy that's always speaking on Charles's half, okay? So Lima comes out, and this is in regard to Charles Oliveira and Nate Diaz in the wake of Nate 
calling out Oliveira and calling out Poirier. So here, here's the quote. To be honest, which you never say. Right, I mean, right, right out of the gate, big mistake. To be honest, how am I supposed to interpret that? That this is honest or that the other times you speak, you're not being honest? I never say to be honest. Okay, to be honest, it is a fight that theoretically makes no sense to us. Nate is not active, much less ranked. It is a fight that would only happen for financial reasons, but even so, I don't think it would be beneficial for us at this point. We know that McGregor sells a lot. Really, who he faces sells well, meaning McGregor. Nate is not at that level. Our goal is the belt. Even if it is financially worthwhile, today I do not see this struggle adding to Charles's career. The goal is one, the lightweight title. Lima said of his pupil, Oliveira, end quote. All right, let's break this thing down line for line. I feel as I did the first one for you. To be honest, mistake, don't ever say that. Now you just made yourself look dishonest in every other thing that comes out of your mouth. This fight theoretically makes no sense for us. Nate is not active, much less ranked. First off, nobody knows that. It feels as though it was three or four months ago that Nate was fighting in a sold-out Madison Square Garden. Now, the reality is if you look at a calendar and a timeline and you trace that back, it, it, it was closer to two years ago than it was two months ago. But Nate not being active is something that nobody knows. And it also says that Nate is not ranked. Nobody knows what those rankings are. You have to understand this. If you live so close to the trees that you can't see the forest, you will make statements like this all the time. There is nothing here in this quote that I'm giving you that every other fighter and or manager and or coach, when they speak about it, doesn't make these same mistakes. Nobody understands that Nate is not active and nobody understands that Nate is not ranked. You could have told us that, that Nate is not ranked or you could tell us that he was ranked number four. Nobody would say anything because we don't know what he's ranked. We don't even know where to find these rankings. It is a fight that would only happen for financial reasons, but even so, I don't think it would be beneficial for us. Okay, so I guess they're rich. If a fight is going to happen for financial reasons and the athlete is a prize fighter, but you don't think that it would be beneficial, apparently you're already rich. We know, now here's, here's where you start, the wheels really start to fall off the bus. We know that McGregor sells a lot. Whoever he faces sells well. Nate is not at that level. Says who? How do you possibly know what Conor McGregor sells? And how do you possibly know what Nate Diaz sells? That is an opinion. Oh, by the way, your client Oliveira has a contract. It wouldn't matter if the world watched the fight or no one watches it. Oliveira is getting what his contract says. If there's a return on investment, that's none of your business, period. So first off, your facts are made up. You don't know that McGregor sells well, and you don't know that Nate doesn't. That makes you a mark. You've been reading headlines. You can't prove either to be true. And you, nowhere in your contract, are entitled to a bonus based on who you face. You have a contract. So the financial part of it fully falls on the promoter. And it's very weird that this was even brought up because it has nothing to do with him. He doesn't get to participate. Our goal is the belt. Love that. Good for you. Even if it is financially worthwhile, 
Today I do not see this struggle, meaning fight, adding to Charles's career. Why would you need to? I do not see this struggle adding to Charles's career. Why would you need to? Why would you need to be able to see anything? You're already stating who draws what, prior, which you don't know. Prior to that, you're stating that the money doesn't matter, which is weird for a prize fighter. Overall, you're stating that you want the belt. However, you're not going to get one, and you're not going to get one because people don't know who your client is. That's not a jerk thing for Chael to sit up here and say and attempt to condescend to somebody. It's just something that has to be recognized so that we change that. The gap and the leaps of the ladder, of the rung, the leaps that Charles Oliveira went up by beating Tony Ferguson is unmatched anywhere else in his career. Charles has beaten a lot of guys. He's beaten the hell out of a lot of guys. He's controlled guys. He's finished guys. He's never got the boost that he got by doing that to Tony. So that should be a big clue to his management coaches, trainer, and himself of, hey, I just got to get out there. I just got to be seen by more people. Get me back in there. Get me in the ring. And there are times in your career where to get the rub, you have to beat somebody in front of you. There's other times in your career you just have to be seen. People are now interested in you. They're going to tune in to see you. They're not going to know what your opponent's ranked. They're not going to know if he's active. They're not going to know and or care what you're getting paid for it. They just want to see you. So when you get so close to the trees and you can't stand back and observe the forest, this is how you make mistakes like this, okay? The goal is only one, the lightweight title. Love that. That is awesome. But it still sounds as though you don't know what it's take to going to get there. And it's not the punches or the kicks. It's not the submissions. It's not your level of conditioning or how many chin-ups you can do. Step number one in becoming the champion, you got to get a championship fight. Plenty of guys will put on the, the best performance you've ever seen. If they didn't do it in the Super Bowl, they don't get to be the Super Bowl champions. Plenty of guys will go and go, whoa, that is the best performance I've ever seen. Too bad that wasn't for a championship. He's not the champion. I mean, do you see where this matters? The first thing you have to do is go and get the fight. But to weigh in on what Connor sells, you don't know that. You're a mark. You just marked out. You just fell for a headline. You don't know that. To say that Nate isn't of that level, you don't know that. You have no big idea how big Connor's last fight against Poirier was versus Connor's last, or I apologize, Nate Diaz's last fight with Masvidal. I have an opinion. I happen to think this gentleman's opinion is right. He's got the same opinion as me. Neither of us has any proof. It's just always very weird when somebody comes out to tell you who the draw is or who the sell is. You don't know the business and you never will. It's not public. And there is no such thing as the money fight. You guys remember when we had to live through that era? There is no money fight. You have a contract. We're going to operate within that contract. If things go terrible, we're still going to pay you because that was the deal. If things go amazing, we're going to pay you because that was the deal. So it's just one of these things. It's one of these really weird and bizarre things where as much attention as you could possibly get is what you want to go out there and get, particularly when you have the skills of Charles Oliveira and you're being held back in large part, just because people weren't familiar with you, right? It's just, it's one of those things. I mean, if Charles Oliveira's manager wanted to help him, 
The first thing he would do is make him look consistent. Hey, Charles, you're showing up to press conferences wearing glasses, but when you get in the cage, you don't wear them. Well, yeah, I understand that, but I have a hard time seeing. I can't wear them in the octagon. Yeah, I understand that whole thing, but now it looks like two different people. I need a consistency. I need your face to look the same. Sometimes you bleach your hair and sometimes you don't. Nobody knows who you are with dark hair or with blonde hair. I need a level of consistency, Charles. Show up to the press conference looking the same as you look in the octagon. Quit changing your hairstyle because nobody knew who you were in the first place. These aren't condescending or small. This is a very, very big deal. Martin Vittori, I just had this same, same talk with Martin. He gets more play than he ever gets in his life from a shouting match that was organically captured in an iPhone of a hotel. But then he shaves his head. It's now not the same guy. Hey, is that the guy from the hotel? No, I don't think so. It doesn't look like it. You need to look the same. You need to be consistent. If you were ever a long-haired hilljack that for reasons unknown went and cut his hair and showed up to Monday Night Raw, Vince will fire you. Well, Vince, what business is it of you? What business is of mine? The audience doesn't know who you are. Vince McMahon firmly believes, and I bring Vince into this because if you can sell out an arena openly telling the audience that you're watching a fake product and still evoke an emotion from them and get them to buy a t-shirt on the way out, you apparently are a pretty goddamn good promoter. Right, in all fairness, you really are. But Vince McMahon believes that every character needs changed. And it can be drastic or slight, but every character needs changed every 12 months. I bring that to you because an athlete who's still trying to be recognized, who comes in almost like he's in disguise, like he robbed a bank and he's on the run from the feds. So he's going to bleach his hair or he's going to shave his head or he's going to put on glasses. It's a joke in the comedy aisle of every Halloween store that comes out a month before October 31st every year. Here's the funny nose and here's the glasses. Walk in a room. People won't know who you are. If the manager wants to help him, start with this. Quit changing your hair because people don't know you. Don't cut your hair. Don't bleach your hair. If you're going to bleach it today, bleach it every single day for the rest of your life until you're over. Quit showing up to the press conference wearing glasses if that's not how the people see you in the octagon. It's a big deal. It's a very big deal that if Charles Oliveira was to walk into a room, most people aren't going to know who he is. It's job number one. And so many eyeballs were on Tony Ferguson that Charles got this huge rub. So you would think that he would have learned this lesson. A very basic lesson. You have a prize fighter. He's going to fight for a prize. By the way, he has a contract. He's going to get what's in his contract. He would like to have the title. We all love and respect that. But you're also coming on the heels of being offered a fight with Michael Chandler that you turned down for whatever reason does not matter. You said no. It turns out the reason got out, which was your client couldn't make weight. Your client is asked to make weight three times a year. He should never not be able to make weight when he's only asked to do it three times a year. You say, you have bigger problems. And you can always hire somebody to speak for you, but you're going to be responsible for the stupid stuff that they say. We don't yet know what's going to happen at 155, but we are certain that Dustin Poirier is the top contender in the division. I came across some comments from Dustin involving Max and Conor McGregor, and I want to talk about that. Poirier weighed in on who the better boxer was, Max Holloway or Conor McGregor. And Poirier said, Conor is definitely the better puncher. 
Those were his exact words. I want to give you his words, but tell you how I interpret that. Harder. Hits harder. Okay. He said, but Max is in better position more often to throw combinations. My final opinion. Poor Atok. And my final opinion, Max Holloway. Interesting for a lot of reasons. First off, Poirier just dismissed his next opponent, who's going to be Conor McGregor for a world championship. He just dismissed him. He put over Max, and I did a piece on this a while ago, had a lot of you push back on it. And I said, I think of the two, the better boxers, Conor. The reason I say that, Max, Conor is what we're talking here. The reason I say that I just don't know who else you can say when Connor went 30 minutes with Floyd, when we've actually seen Connor box and everybody else we have to guess. I feel as if we're just given an opinion based on what we've seen by deep. We have to give it to Connor. I said, not to mention, you're attempting to compare who boxed better against Dustin. This is you guys. You guys have pushed back on me. You were attempting to compare who boxed better against Dustin specifically, Connor or Max, to which I rebuted by saying, but they weren't boxing. They were doing MMA under the unified rules and some hands were thrown. So I, I reject that visual analysis. I reject that from coming into our makeshift court of law here. I don't think that that should be admissible. And then you have Dustin coming in the back of it and saying, uh, you know, know that it's Max. And it's one of these things that's very fun. You know, you can only have fun a few times when you're arguing this sport. But one of the times is when it can never be proven. If you're sitting around and talking about all the different possible integers as to why Batman can beat Superman, you're a nerd, for one. But for two, you're having a great conversation because it can never end. It's one of those, it can never end. It's like when we sit here and argue about the pound for pound or the goat or of all time, it's one of these things where we can't prove it, which is why it's fun. It's very fun. It's very interesting. But if you were to push back on me saying I felt Connor was better between Max and Connor at just pure boxing because Connor's the only one that's done it. If you were to push back on me using Dustin as an analysis, I'm going to shove that own argument back in your face and say, then just take Dustin out. I've got something even better, which was Connor versus Max. They fought. To which you are then going to quickly take the argument that I made that you just previously rejected and say, yes, but they were fighting under the unified rules. It wasn't a boxing match. Exactly. But I just trapped you. I just roped you in. That's what I'm saying. You can't have it both ways. And it's just one of these things. It's very interesting. I'm not sure Poirier did anything in this analysis except make me want to see Connor versus Max again, which wouldn't have been Dustin's intent. And Dustin's an interesting one for me. I mean, where does Dustin Poirier rank for you guys? Pound for pound, MMA. If we have all admitted 155 is the toughest division, and it is, 155 is the toughest division, then by default of that admission, don't we have to state whoever's the king of 155 is the best overall? Because you don't. You don't. Dustin doesn't come in number one. And Khabib only came in number one for a cup of coffee, and that was after he requested upon his retirement. And the media laid down and said, sure, give it to him. Then John Jones spoke up and said, man, I ain't laying down for this. I mean, right, but you remember that? But wouldn't it seem as though it's, uh, Khabib would have been the right answer? Not just the 29-0 world champion. If we're admitting that 155 is the toughest and best weight class, 
then wouldn't the champion of 155 be the best? Because Poirier doesn't sit there. And not only does he not sit there officially, people don't, don't have him there, including me. I don't know what I would tell you Dustin's good at, which would sound very snide by me, but it's not meant that way at all. Of anybody in the UFC that you're, you're going to do a cross-promotion with, right? You're going to throw him into boxing. Dustin's not the guy that you put in there to put your best foot forward. Okay, let's go the opposite way. Of anybody in the UFC, we're going to throw them into submission underground. See who can beat Mason Fowler. Dustin's not the guy that you would put in for that. He is not the world's best grappler, and he is not the world's best striker. But God damn, can he fight, right? I mean, he can put it all together, which comes back to what I'm talking about, which is that is a sport in and of itself. It is its own sport. I mean, I'll never forget. I've told you guys this story, and I'm going to tell you it 20 more times of my experience on the Ultimate Fighter 17 with Kelvin Gatslam, the last pick, the youngest guy to ever come through there, and the last pick. I didn't pick him, and John Jones didn't pick him. And he wasn't surprised. He wasn't pick. He knew he would be the last pick. I talked to Kelvin, you know, as this process went on, all of a sudden he's beating everybody. He's not only winning all his fights and about to go to the finals, he's stopping everybody. Nobody can even go the distance with him. And don't forget, those fights are two rounds. They can't even go 10 minutes with the guy. So, Kelvin, I have the foggiest idea what you're good at. You are not the best boxer in this room. You aren't the best wrestler in this room. You're damn sure not the best submission guy. He had no bell. I don't think he even owned a gi at the time. But, Kelvin, I don't know what your weaknesses are. I'm sitting here coaching you, but if I were to coach against you, I don't know what I would tell your opponent to try to exploit. And on the very last day, Luke walks up to me. And Luke goes, you want to know what Kelvin's good at? This is the last day. We are saying our goodbyes. He says, you want to know what Kelvin's good at? And I looked right at him. I said, yeah, I'd like to know. He said, he's good at fighting. And that was the answer. And I've never forgot that moment. It was a powerful moment for me. And as I look at Kelvin Gaslam, that's what I say. And I bring that in because you guys know how much I love Kelvin. I don't want you to think I'm insulting Dustin. I'm comparing Dustin to one of the guys I'm closest with in this whole sport of Kelvin Gaslam. Right? Yet there's no insult here, but it's still very true. Dustin can put everything together. He's not going to win the argument of, of who the best boxer is between in the UFC, even if it's between Max and Connor, and he beat both of them, and he beat both of them at boxing. Knocked one of them out cold. He's still not going to win the debate. And you know what? He's not going to win the boxing match either. Max will outbox Dustin any day. Connor will outbox him any day. But Dustin is not a boxer. He is a king of the unified rules. It's a huge compliment, but it, it, it's also proof of where this sport is. And I say this to you guys as a wrestler. I'm a wrestler. I'm a wrestling mark. I still think the better wrestler is going to win, no matter how many times it gets shoved in my face that that's not true anymore. And it's not true to the point that wrestling might be the least effective of the martial arts right now. The Kings. The King. Dan Severn came out and Hoist Gracie was wrestling, whether you want to admit it or not. I call it jujitsu. That'd be fair, but he was out there wrestling. Dan Severn comes into the Mark Coleman's to the Randy Couture's. It keeps getting passed. Stipe, who's sitting there right now, Daniel Cormier, who came before him, the wrestlers are still the king. It's like, you know what? Even with that said, I'm not sure it's not the least effective of the martial arts right now. I think you are bet much better off to be Dustin Poirier, who if you broke down one of the elements, you throw Dustin Poirier in the U.S. Open for wrestling, you better not be betting on him to win. You put him in the, the golden gloves, you better not be betting on him to win. You put him into submission underground, you better not be betting on him to win. You put him in the octagon, you better bet your ass you be, put your money on Dustin Poirier. He's doing his own thing. I don't want to happen to Dustin what happened to St. Pierre, 
which is because the guy is handsome and because the guy is nice, he doesn't get his due. He doesn't get his street cred. And I feel that that could happen. I feel that Dustin Poirier is such a gentleman. I mean, lo and behold, the, the scumbag loves his wife. I mean, shocking news, but he's really happy to be a father. I mean, just doesn't belong in MMA. The guy gives to his community and helps children. I mean, just a terrible guy, right? Terrible guy for MMA to get your street cred. <laughs> Turns out, he'll beat you up too. Before I head off to the weigh-ins for UFC 258, I want to focus really quick on Saturday night's co-main event. So, Maisie Barber's getting ready to fight Grosso. And Macy Barber, I, I love everything about her. I love everything about the way she markets. I do not feel like she has ever had a miss. And I also do not believe that she is one of these geniuses that sits down and strategizes. I think it's all an accident, which might be a bigger compliment. But Macy Barber, of course, is the one who came out and told everybody I'm going to be the youngest UFC champion ever, which, by the way, gives myself two years. And as long as I have it within two years, I will have surpassed John Jones's record. And then she won. And then she won again. And then she won again. And as sure as night follows day, she eventually stubbed her toe against Roxanne Modafieri. But had that not happened, Macy would fight for a title before that day came and went. She just did too good a job of building the story. And she also gave everybody a heads up, including Dana. If you don't like it, put somebody in here to beat me. If you don't do that, then I'm expecting a title shot by this day. I mean, it was a story that was working. And she would have got that fight. But now Macy Barber has come in. You know what? I got to tell you a quick Macy story. I was talking to her on the desk of ESPN. She had a fight. She came up and she was doing this, this spiel. I'm going to be the youngest champion ever. I'm going to surpass John Jones. That gives myself 14 months. I mean, she was working in this storyline. But now she's working it live on ESPN. Right? I mean, you see the effectiveness to this. And I said, Macy, I love it. And she looked at me and she said, why? And we were on live TV. But she was very sincere. I saw the look in her eye and I heard it in her tone. She was very sincere when I paid her the compliment and said, I love that you're doing this. She said, why? She was challenging me who was agreeing with her. But I could tell it was sincere. I answered the question. I said, Macy, because nobody has the courage that you have. Nobody has the courage like Babe Ruth to walk on the mound and say, that is where I'm going to put the ball. And if I don't, I look like a fool. That's where the courage comes in. If I do, I'm a superstar. If I don't, if I don't, I look like a fool in front of the world. Except you. You are coming out. You are calling your shot. You are doing exactly what you say you're going to do, which makes you extremely vulnerable, Macy. And the fact that you have the courage at 19 years old to do is why I like it. And she thanked me. She said, thank you. She wanted the answer to her question, but she's doing it now. She's getting ready to fight in a co-main event. Okay, pay-per-view, and she's saying, after I win this fight, I am then going to fight Joanna Calderwood. Now, that's a problem if you're Joanna Calderwood. Because if Macy is saying this in the pre-press conference, she's got me over here repeating it now. She goes in, takes care of business with Grosso, grabs the microphone and calls you. If she stays very consistent, that's going to be a problem. Because right now, it looks as though... UFC and company would like Calderwood to fight the bullet. But Calderwood, by process of elimination, believes she's going to get the bullet, not because she's done a damn thing to make anybody interested in that fight. 
And it's not interesting. I think that it is the right fight to make. I see where that works out on paper. I think the Calderwood story of stepping in, getting beat, having to come back, I think the whole thing, I think that you could package up and tell the story, but there's very few of you that even know what I just alluded to because nobody's done a good job of telling the story. And frankly, it's not my job or anybody else's. It's Joanna's job. And it's Valentina's job. And Lord knows Vantila isn't going to do her job. And now we know that Calderwood's not doing it. You see where this becomes a problem, right? If Macy Barber is calling her out, goes and gets a win of a co-main event, sticks to the script, when the boys get back into the office and they start thinking about trying to make a fight for Valentina Shevchenko and the whole world is talking about Macy versus Calderwood, how do you put Calderwood versus Valentina? Valentina hasn't called for it and never will. But Calderwood hasn't done anything to build an interest in Valentina. Calderwood's not going to do anything to build an interest or an anti-interest in Macy. She's not going to do a damn thing. Those girls don't know what they're doing, but Macy does. And Macy says she wants to fight Calderwood. And if she says it on pay-per-view on Saturday, she's likely going to be fighting her because look at the problem that will have been created. Not only are we not going to give Macy the fight that she wants, but we're going to give the fight that she wants who is Calderwood to somebody else who has no interest in fighting her. I mean, do you see where this becomes a problem? Of course you're stuck with, well, then who do we have fight Valentina? Who cares? Valentina doesn't care. Calderwood hasn't done enough to make anybody else care, but Macy has. I just want you guys to observe this. I can't prove to you she would have got the title shot. I'm right. I'm right. Roxanne had other ideas. Story didn't go that way. So hear me out on this one, and Grosso's got to get in the way of it. But it also begs, is that a good spot for Macy to be in? Should Macy be looking at what is next? And you know what? There's no wrong answer to that. Some people need to be absolutely laser-focused, and other athletes, are, it's paralysis by analysis. The more I sit and focus and think about something, I just freeze up, tense up, and I don't go out there and move. I think Macy's letting us in on her mindset, which is, no, I got, I got to be thinking about other things at once. Great. No problem. I'm here to talk to you about the marketing aspect. I have not seen Macy Barber miss yet. If she beats Grasso and she sticks to the script, she's going to be fighting Calderwood. That I am calling now. All right, guys, that's it for today. Remember, if you like what you're hearing, you can download and subscribe the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google. I am off to UFC 258. Enjoy the fights. I'll be back next week. But until then... You're welcome.